0: Hello, and welcome to 90.5 WESA's Good Question podcast. I'm series producer Katie Blackley. All of our features for the podcast are based on questions submitted by you, our curious listeners. We've taken you into our city's tunnels and discovered an old Civil War fort in Pittsburgh woods. Thanks for joining us. Today, we look at the intersection of art, society, and industry.
1: These are not waste, they're not scrap, they're Mementos of history that should be saved and used as memorials.
0: So there they stand. Stay with us after this quick break.
2: Support for the Good Question podcast is made possible by the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra, bringing great music to Pittsburgh for 126 years. Calendar of performances and ticket information is available at pittsburghsymphony.org and by castus a pittsburgh based consulting firm specializing in business development e-commerce and international expansion no obligation consultations available at castusglobal.com/wesa c a s t u s global.com/wesa
0: along route 51 in west mifflin there are two round brown reddish sculptures one looks like a thimble atop a rust colored stump Another nearby looks like three skewered mushrooms stacked on top of each other. They're on the side of the road by a Denny's and Huntington Bank. Good question asker Zach Smith noticed them.
1: I thought, are they capping industrial waste? Are they left over from some construction project? Just what in the world are those things?
0: There's no informational plaque and there are no signs posted. Their placement seems random, but these sculptures are there for a reason, according to Ron Barriff. He's with the Rivers of Steel National Heritage Area.
1: All around Century Three Mall are are these uh, sculptural pieces um, that have been there for most people's whole lives. But really, they've been there since the mid-70s.
0: Bariff says that's when West Mifflin started changing into a commercial hub. Those sculptures aren't really sculptures. They're tools of the steel industry, a slag pot, reamer, and buttons. They were used back when the region was a manufacturing hub to move a material called slag.
1: Really what it is is all the leftover waste when you're making iron. So it is uh, silica, it's magnesium, it's phosphorus, and then it's limestone.
0: Slag has traditionally been used for fill at construction sites, but Bearoff says there was a time when trains would load up with slag at one of Pittsburgh's steel mills along the river, travel out to West Mifflin, and dump it.
1: It's really rivers of molten slag running down a hill. It's pretty exciting stuff.
0: People would gather as trains lined up at the top of the hill behind what's now Century 3 Mall and watch the slag pots flip over and pour out the orange and red goop.
1: You did it with the family. You did it when you were on a date. It was just kind of that place to hang out and see this action.
0: U.S. Steel kept dumping there until the late 60s and early 70s when it started looking at other ways to use the land. Those thimble and mushroom shaped tools were all part of the industry. The thimble shaped one is actually a reamer, which was used to clean the pots. And the other three mushrooms are buttons. They're actually iron that was heavier than the slag and sunk to the bottom of the slag pot. The idea to make these into pieces of public art came from the mind of U.S. Steel industrial designer Anatol Rachowski.
3: He
1: um, worked hard to apply an aesthetic to an industry that doesn't rely upon aesthetics. And and said to him, "Look, you know, these are not waste. They're not scrap. They're." mementos of history that should be saved and used as memorials. So there they stand.
0: Bariff said when they were installed, everyone knew what they were. The industry was still booming at the time. Nowadays, it's different.
1: Most people have no idea what any of that is. They drive past it all the time.
0: They're a reminder of what shaped the region and of the items and materials that were so central to so many people here in western Pennsylvania. If you go online, you can find videos of slag dumps. It's quite a sight to see the rows of giant slag pots tip over and spill the molten red-orange waste onto the hillside below. I guess I can see it being entertaining for a family or a date, but you tell me. Did you ever watch a slag dump? Let us know on social media at 905-WESA. We'll be right back after this quick break.
2: Get Pittsburgh news and Pittsburgh stories delivered right to your inbox every weekday morning at 7 with Inbox Edition, a newsletter from WESA. It's a quick read that brings you up to speed on the most important topics of the day. It's easy to subscribe at WESA.FM slash Inbox.
0: Welcome back. Thousands of crystals dangle above the heads of Pittsburgh theater patrons, reflecting light onto the walls and ceilings of the elegant halls. While watching an opera at the Benetton Center, listener Lou Martinage became fixated on the enormous chandelier hanging over his head. As he sat back, he wondered just how many crystals are up there.
2: I'm fascinated by beautiful things, and crystals, you know, are are sort of unique in that respect, uh, that they uh, reflect the colors, and started trying to count them, and uh, that became impossible.
0: But there is someone who has counted all the crystals within that giant chandelier. His name is Will Dennis, and he's been the theater electrician for more than 30 years. On a recent morning, Dennis recounted the history of the Benedum. It was originally built as the Stanley Theater in 1927, a place to show movies. It was renovated half a century later, and crews tried to stay true to the theater's design roots, including the Austrian crystal used in the chandeliers.
4: So a lot of the architecture that you do see is either original or replicated to be original.
0: Dennis took on the project of maintaining the chandelier, He says one challenge was finding substitute crystals with shapes and colors that resembled originals. And there was the problem of Hansi patrons.
4: When we first opened in 1987, many of the teardrops disappeared, souvenirs. Um, So I soldered many of them so they couldn't be taken. And then I found them online for 65 cents a piece and now I don't care. And now no one steals any.
0: If he can't acquire a replica, he'll make small adjustments like switching amber prisms for light purple or using a teardrop shape instead of a bead.
4: Once I found these and I liked the richness of the color, I changed them as well
0: as... On the main balcony of the Benidem, Dennis brushes his fingers against the hanging glass of the giant chandelier. Its largest feature is a basket shape made of tightly strung beads and candlesticks poke out of the top, illuminating the cake-like layering in the center of the fixture. It's suspended 35 feet from the ceiling by a thick metal rope swaying about a foot from the floor
4: very first time it flew in and we had the opportunity to clean it, I was astonished at how beautiful it is up close. I expected it to be very big and garish and bold, and and it's it's very delicate for its enormity.
0: This chandelier has more than 50,000 crystals and weighs about 4,700 pounds. We are counting crystals as any piece of ornate glass in the fixture, bowls, petals, and beads. Dennis and his team clean the crystals one by one using a rag and Windex or other dusting chemicals. Down the street at Heinz Hall, 12 smaller ovular chandeliers look like they're embedded in the ceiling of the main hall.
3: They look, you know, rather small when they're up there, but when they're down, they actually extend over uh, four rows or five rows of seats and uh, are massive.
0: Heinz Hall general manager Carl Mancuso says like the Benedum chandelier, they're made of mostly Austrian crystal, but he says they haven't counted the pieces. So, we counted. In each individual chandelier, there are about 2,900 crystals, mostly strings of beads gathering at the center where they layer into a flower shape. It takes a lot of coordination to care for the chandeliers at both the Benetton Center and Heinz Hall. Special rigs are used to lower the fixtures and it takes about a week to polish all the glass. That's why they only do it once a year. Come with me now to Pittsburgh's Strip District, where massive stone pillars flank the entrances to the yellow 16th Street Bridge. They're topped with bronze-winged horses, majestically raising their hooves to the sky and seemingly protecting the embellished globes behind them. That got one of our Good Question Askers, Kaylee Gruby, curious. Gruby's an avid bicyclist and runner, and I've gotten into kayaking, so I'm often crossing bridges throughout the city. As Gruby crosses the span from the Strip District to the North Shore, She says she noticed something about the bronze ornamental globe structures, formerly called armillary spheres. The globes are wrapped by an iron band containing 12 animals to represent the zodiac. On one of the sides, the metal is oxidized, and on the other, it's not. Structures like this made of copper or bronze naturally change color over time, developing a patina. It's why the Statue of Liberty isn't the color of a penny, and why the downtown Pittsburgh Coppers Building appears to have a greenish roof. So I've wondered, why that might be, if there's an air quality difference on either side, if one side was cleaned and then the other side wasn't. The 16th Street Bridge was completed in 1923. It's the fourth bridge to stand at that location, but more ornate than its previous iterations, thanks to a push in the early 20th century to make new structures both functional and visually stunning. With air pollution on the mind, I contacted Cliff Davidson. He's a civil and environmental engineering professor at Syracuse University, but he spent more than 30 years at Carnegie Mellon University conducting research on air pollution.
3: One study that we did was looking at the Cathedral of Learning and trying to identify what were the most important sources of pollutants that were soiling the limestone of the cathedral.
0: The cathedral was built in the 1930s, when Pittsburgh was still a booming manufacturing hub. When Davidson looked at the 42-story skyscraper, he noticed there was dark soiling on the lower floors, but it was less pronounced as his eyes moved up. Each side of the building was different, too.
3: We wanted to measure the concentrations of pollutants that were in the air around the building.
0: They placed sampling monitors and air filters throughout the structure, and also looked at old photographs of the cathedral. He says in the 1930s and 40s, dirty air particles kept sticking to the limestone.
3: Afterwards, starting in the 1950s, 1960s, when pollutants were being
0: reduced,
3: the rain wash-off was really dominating, and every year you could see the patterns changing.
0: Wind direction was also a significant factor in their research. The west and north sides of the building were much cleaner than the east and south.
3: My guess is that on the 16th Street Bridge, that probably the direction of the rain in you know the winds carrying the rain against the bridge may be very important here in terms of the areas that have been cleaned by the rain and the areas that have not been hit quite as hard by the rain.
0: To understand if the difference in coloration was from cleaning or pollution, I reached out to Allegheny County, which maintains the span. When I told Chief Bridge Engineer Richard Connors I had a question for him about the 16th Street Bridge, he immediately jumped in.
2: There's a little history about those globes.
0: In the 1970s, Connors said there was a movement to restore or update public art. Crews repainted structures like the Panthers on Panther Hollow Bridge. The Robert Burns statue outside of the Phipps Conservatory, and the Greek myth-inspired figure in the Mary Shenley Fountain, called "A Song to Nature."
2: And the city actually went in and painted them brown, some sort of lacquer.
0: The lacquer was intended to preserve the artwork from the elements. One of those projects, the 16th Street Bridge, crews painted the globes on the Strip District side with the brown lacquer. They planned to do the same on the north side globes, but
2: at the same time, some. Local historians and sculptors were saying, you can't, you shouldn't be doing that. Bronze is meant to oxidize. It looks better, actually, you get that bluish-green tint to it. And so they stopped what they were doing at midstream, and here we are today.
0: In this case, the differences in coloration weren't caused by air pollution, just some misguided art restoration.
2: I always thought that, can't we go up there and... Remove the brown lack from the downtown strip district side, but (laughs) we haven't gotten to a project that size again.
0: Until then, the armillary spheres on each side will always be a little different. In reporting this story, I was reminded that sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we think we know what's right for a city and its art, but we need a community of experts and advocates to get involved. That collaboration has always been key to Pittsburgh's success and hopefully we can continue to be good neighbors and connect. Stories like this and all the features you've heard during the first season of our Good Question podcast rely on the knowledge and experiences of academics and residents and curious listeners. It's been wonderful spending this time with you. Be sure to rate the show wherever you're listening to it, and check out all the great reporting from my colleagues on 90.5 FM and WESA.FM. Special thanks to Patrick Doyle and everyone at Pittsburgh Community Broadcasting. I'm Katie Blackley. Stay curious.